0: to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with Joseph seeking his brothers, as we pick up in Genesis chapter 37, verse
1: 12. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. So his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. They probably figured, we're getting out of here. This nut with his dreams and all and can't stand him. And we'll head for Shechem, which was about 67 miles away from where they were staying there in the area of Hebron. And Israel said to Joseph, Do not your brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said unto him, Here am I. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, and see whether it is well with your brothers and well with their flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, Who are you looking for? And he said, I'm looking for my brothers. Tell me, I pray thee, where are they feeding their flocks? And the man said, They are departed from here, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Hey, here comes the dreamer. So... Surely Joseph nor his father had any idea that the brother's hatred had grown to this extent. Else his father would have never sent him. And Joseph probably would have been reluctant in going. But coming to Dothan, or coming to Shechem and not finding them, he was just sort of roaming in the field. I would imagine that he was looking for evidences, probably trying to find a trail, looking for uh, the footprints of the flocks and so forth, and, and just going back and forth through the field, trying to find the trail, trying to find out which direction they may have gone. And as he was just sort of wandering in the field, looking for evidences of where they might be, this man said, Who are you looking for? And he said, Do you happen to know where my brothers have gone with their flocks? And he said, yeah, I heard one of them say they're going to Dothan. So he headed out 20 miles further north to Dothan. And so he's now almost 90 miles away from home. And his brothers seeing him come conspired together to kill him. They said, come now, therefore, let us kill him. We'll cast him into a pit and we'll say some evil beast must have devoured him and we will see then what will become of his dreams, showing the deep resentment they had towards his dreams, the very idea that they would bow down to him. will thwart, really, the plan of God, see what happens to God's plans after we kill him. Of course, there are many who see in Joseph a beautiful type of Jesus Christ, And Satan's endeavor to destroy Jesus To see what could become then of God's plans And uh, of course God's plans were fulfilled in the death of Christ Reuben heard it, the oldest brother And he delivered him out of the hands and said, hey, let's not kill him Reuben said unto them, don't shed blood Let's just throw him in this pit that is here in the wilderness and don't lay any hand upon him that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. Now, Reuben being the oldest brother would be then the one who would be most responsible. He would be the one that would be responsible to his dad for his youngest brother. And so seeing that these guys were really serious in their intention to kill him, he, he felt that it was his responsibility to save him from their anger And so he suggests an alternate plan. Don't kill him. Just throw him in the pit. Let him starve to death. And that way you don't get your hands bloody. And you won't have his blood on your hands. You just let him die there in the pit. And he was intending to come back around later and to let Joseph out of the pit and and deliver him back safe to his father. Joseph would have been safe around his father. It came to pass when Joseph was come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph out of his coat his coat of many colors that was on him even as they stripped Jesus of his robe and cast lots and they took him and cast him into a pit the pit was empty there was no water in it so it indicates that it was probably a cistern. Now, all over that land, they have dug these huge cisterns in the rock, which are water reservoirs. And uh, some of them have, were dug in an area where there was a fracture in the rock and, and they would not hold water. So here was a cistern. It was empty. They Usually all of them have very steep sides And so they decided to dump Joseph in the cistern. And they sat down to eat bread. And they lifted up their eyes, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spices and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. And let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother in our flesh, and his brothers were content. Now whether or not it was Judah's desire to save his life or to make money is only a matter of speculation. But he is suggesting that they, again, not actually kill him, they could actually make some money off of him. What profit is it to kill him? Let's just sell him and we'll make money off of him. And how Pure were Judah's motives or well-intentioned as far as Joseph is concerned is only speculation. We really don't know for sure. Then there passed by the Midianite merchantmen and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver and they brought Joseph into Egypt. And so he is rejected by his brethren And sold, even again in the typology, as Christ was rejected by his brethren, and uh, was sold for thirty pieces of silver by Judas Iscariot. Now at this point, Joseph was really crying and pleading with his brothers that they would uh, have mercy on him and all, and uh, his brothers just really turned a deaf ear unto his pleas. And uh, later on, in the book of Genesis, it it tells how that his brothers, when he was playing games with them in Egypt and putting pressure on them, said, you know, uh, this is really our fault. We didn't have mercy on our brother. In the 42nd chapter, verse 21, And they said one to another, We are verily guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he begged us, and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. And so going just a little bit ahead in the story, when Joseph became the ruler in Egypt and his brothers came down to buy grain, They did not recognize Joseph. Of course, some 20 years had transpired. Joseph was just 17 years old when his brothers sold him. He was 30 years old when he came to Pharaoh. And he was seven years of the famine, I mean, of the feast, or the the plentiful years. So uh, he was at least 20 years older since his brothers last saw him. And he was now older, matured, and had no doubt the style of, of hair and beard and so forth as the Egyptians. And uh, they didn't recognize that this was their brother, but he recognized them, but didn't let them know who he was. Spoke to them through an interpreter. But he started giving them a bad time. He said, you guys are spies. You're not brothers. You've come down here to spy out Egypt. I had to put you all to death, you know, and and just was giving him a bad time. And and so he was giving such a rough time, they started talking to each other in Hebrew, not knowing that he could understand. And they said, hey, hey, you know. And it, it shows you that you can't get away from your guilt. You may bury it down in the recesses of your mind, or you might try to sublimate it, but guilt will out. Somewhere or other, guilt will out. It'll out in a neurotic behavior pattern or it will out in some form or other. Guilt will out. There's only one thing that can remove your guilt. That is confession to Jesus Christ and receiving His forgiveness. That's the only thing that can remove your guilt. And so the brothers, 20 years later, are still feeling guilty over the act that they did. This is caused because we saw the anguish of His soul and we didn't give any heed to it. So Joseph was really begging them, pleading with them, no doubt crying. And yet they were heartless. They were hard. And as he was being carried away in this caravan, probably chained to the other slaves, looking back, pleading, crying, don't do this. And they they didn't have any compassion upon him whatsoever. So later Reuben, now Reuben evidently had gone off someplace while the brothers conspired to sell him. Reuben came back to the pit and saw that it was empty. And he tore his clothes and he returned to the other brothers and he said, the child isn't in the pit and I don't know what I'm going to do. And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats And dipped the coat in the blood And they sent the coat with long sleeves And brought it to their father and said We have found this coat Do you know whether or not it is your son's coat? And he knew it and he said It is my son's coat An evil beast hath devoured him Joseph is without doubt torn in pieces And Jacob tore his clothes and put on sackcloth And he mourned for his son for many days And all of the sons and all of the daughters Daughters plural, so he had other daughters Only one is named They rose up to comfort him But he refused to be comforted And he said, I will go down into the grave Unto my son mourning And thus the father wept for him Jacob The deceiver, deceiving his father to get his brother's blessing, ends up being deceived. Deceived by his father-in-law Laban and now deceived by his own sons. Notice the sons didn't say anything about it. They they let the old man come to his own conclusions. They just brought him a bloody coat and said, do you recognize this? It just happened to belong to your son. And they let their dad just jump to the conclusions that an animal must have killed his son. Joseph is no doubt torn in pieces. And and they let him jump to that conclusion and then let him believe it. But they were deceiving him. And so again, he who deceived ends up being deceived. Now, the last verse seems to belong more Well, it just closes off this chapter, and then chapter 38 is just sort of a separate little story all on its own. The Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer, the word officer here in Hebrew literally is eunuch, a eunuch of Pharaohs and the captain of the guard. Now chapter 38 is just, thrown in to give us a little bit of historic background concerning the ancestry of Jesus Christ. For even as marvelous a person as Joseph was, his was not to be the blessing of having the Messiah come through him. The Messiah was to come through the tribe of Judah, not the tribe of Joseph. And so... God, by his own election and choice, choosing the tribe of Judah that it might be by grace and not by works, shows us a little insight into Judah and the fact that the ancestry of Christ isn't really a pure kind of an ancestry. There are several insertions into the ancestry of Jesus that if we were choosing a family background for our own son, we probably wouldn't have chosen. But in order that he might be fully identified with each of us, God did not choose a perfect lineage to bring him from, but imperfect in order that we might feel an identity. Now it came to pass at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and he turned into a certain Adullamite whose name was Hira. And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua and he took her and went in unto her. Now customarily, if you wanted to get a wife, you'd have your father go ahead and arrange a dowry. You have a big ceremony and everything else. Judah didn't bother to go through all of this. He just went down, saw this gal, Shua. She was probably a nice-looking girl, and he just decided that uh, let's just go ahead and, and uh, you be my wife. We'll just live together. And so he took her and went in unto her. And she conceived and bare a son and called his name Shelah. And he was at Chezeb. When she bare him, now that's only about eight miles from Hebron. Judah took a wife. Uh, she conceived, actually, bore three sons: Er, Onan, and finally uh, Shelah. Now, the interesting thing is that Judah was to be the father or in the ancestry of Jesus Christ, but Shua wasn't. Evidently, God's choice for his wife. It was Judah's own willful choice. He just saw the gal, was attracted to her. They started living together and they had three sons. But it wasn't in the plan of God that Shua should be the mother of those descendants that would bring forth the Christ child. And thus Judah's action was no doubt out of the plan, and will of God. I would imagine that she was a Canaanite. She was attached to her Canaanite gods. Judah maybe thought that he could convert her to Jehovah. She evidently wasn't converted because the last two sons are named with Canaanite names. Judah no doubt named the first son Hebrew name, but the last two are Canaanite names, which means that she began to have a stronger and stronger influence. Now, Judah knew that from his See, there was to come one day the Messiah. And thus uh, he went out and he made arrangements for his son to marry this girl whose name was Tamar. So he took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, whose name was Tamar. And Ur, verse 7, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord slew him. Now, it is interesting, it doesn't tell us what his wickedness is, nor does it tell us how God killed him. But God did not want this son born of Shua to be in the line of the Messiah. So before this son of Shua could have a child, because of his own wickedness, God killed him. Now, a part of the code in those days was that if your brother died before he had a son, then it was the obligation of the next oldest son to take that same woman as a wife and the first son would be named after the dead brother. And this later became incorporated as a part of the Jewish law But it was already the code uh, in the earlier laws of Hammurabi and others. It is there as a part of the codes of the earlier laws. It was already an accepted practice and was later incorporated into the Mosaic law. And so Onan, the next brother in line, was to take Tamar as a wife and bear a son. And he went in unto Tamar. But it said he spilled his seed on the ground And so God killed him. Now, the reason that God slew him was his failure to be obedient to the law that God established of raising up a seed for the dead brother. It was a rebellion against that established law of God for which God slew him. And so this scripture here where Onan spilled his seed upon the ground and God slew him, must be taken in its context. It is not an argument against these practices that men have used it as an argument against them, but it is actually because uh, he failed and rebelled against the law of God in raising up a seed for his dead brother. That is why the Lord slew him.
0: return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Genesis on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible and we do hope you'll make plans to join us but right now if you'd like to order a copy of today's message simply order Genesis 37 through 38 when visiting the org. and while you're there be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck
1: May the Lord be with you and bless you And keep you in His love and grace May the Lord watch over you And may you be filled with His Spirit And walk in the strength and in the power Of the Spirit of God as He anoints you day by day May you be enabled by Him And may you enter into that fullness That He has for you Walking with the Lord, loving the Lord Listening to the Lord May your mind and heart be clear and sensitive to God and to the things of the Spirit. In Jesus' name.
0: This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. I'd like to tell you about a book written by Chuck Smith entitled Living Water. In this book,
1: Pastor Chuck explains how God has the power to change your life through His Holy Spirit. This book will help you to understand how the Holy Spirit works in your life, covering such topics as who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? What are the gifts of the Spirit? And how should I respond? It's Pastor Chuck's desire that by God's grace and through this book, the Lord will develop in you a hunger and thirst for the things after the Spirit that will help you come into a deep, personal relationship with Him so that your life will be transformed. To find out more and to read a book preview,
0: visit thewordfortoday.org and click on the link to download Living Water by Chuck Smith. Or if you would like to order this book in print, call The Word for Today at 800-272-WORD. That's 800-272-9673.